Amen. All right, we're continuing uh, through our series in Hebrews. We are in chapter 2, chapter 1. And last week, Pastor Steve spoke about the greatness of Jesus Christ. And chapter 1 is a clear, clear text on the full divinity of God, of, of Jesus. So Jesus is, is fully God, all right? If, if there's anyone who wants to make a claim otherwise, uh, we believe strongly that Scripture says Jesus is 100% God. He's not a lesser God in any way. He's not a smaller God in any way. He is God. And then we get to chapter 2. And chapter 2, you know, the verses we read here, this is at the end of chapter 2. And much of chapter 2 is going to be a reminder of of the human character of Jesus Christ. So chapter 1, we're reminded of the divinity, the greatness, God, Jesus is God. In chapter 2, we find a, a very important reminder that Jesus was fully man and we're told why uh, he was man, right? So that's the text we're going to get into. I think it's a great, great text. All right. Let me ask a question, okay? It's a simple question. Uh, If there was a person, all right, a person, so an evil person, a a bad dude, And this guy's life purpose is to take your child, your wife, your husband, your parent, your friends, your loved ones, whoever it is that you can think of here for this question. And their goal was simple. I will take your loved ones and I will put them into lifelong slavery. Lifelong slavery. And this slavery is not even just a physical kind of slavery. It's it's greater than that. It's a slavery that will define every moment of your life, how you live, how you make your decisions, because it will put you under this dark, crazy, powerful cloud and shadow of fear. You will not be free. You will not have hope. You will not understand peace. There will be stress, anxiety. You're not going to live the way you want to live. All right? What would be your response to that person? Right? Would you welcome that person into your home? Would you welcome that person into your heart, into your life? Would you even listen to what that person had to say if you knew what his purpose and goal was, right? You know, what's interesting about the passage we read here in Hebrews 2, the author describes Satan in no uncertain terms, right? Verses 14 and 15 make it clear to us what Satan's plan is. Right? He has a very clear purpose statement. I don't, know, I don't know if you guys are like, you guys have jobs where you go over like vision statements and purpose statement or if you have things like that, you know, and you're like tired of hearing it or what have you. Or, you know, I, I used to serve at a church where almost every meeting we'd start off with like, 
I felt like I was in a cult sometimes, like kind of do a little chant with our vision statement and stuff like that. It was pretty interesting, but I never forgot what, what we were trying to do at that church. Um, I don't know if you guys have that at work. Well, you know, verses 14 and 15 presents to us the vision statement of Satan, right? If he had a website and you clicked about me, right? And this would be his vision statement. The power of death. I would like to deliver every living human being into lifelong slavery through fear of death. That's my purpose. And that's my vision. This is something that happened and started at the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis. You have God creating man and putting man in a in an awesome fellowship with himself. He puts him in paradise, the Garden of Eden, and he creates this situation and world where there is nothing to really desire. Uh, It's all there. It's provided for. Of course, certain tasks and responsibilities are given to mankind. He is to be the caretakers of the world, to rule over creation. Why? Not for their own glory, but for the glory of the Creator for the glory of the king, to lead all creation in worshiping God. And and there was this perfect situation and perfect setup to the point where, right, throughout the creation story, the thing that we keep hearing being repeated by God is after he creates, he says, it is good. All right? It's all good. But of course, uh, Satan comes into the picture with a simple question. Do you think God will really kill you because you eat the fruit of that tree? Right? There was that one commandment that Satan kind of comes to man with and says, man, that, that really doesn't sound very godlike. It doesn't sound very merciful. For sure, you're not going to die if you eat of it. It was a great temptation, and it worked. But you see, if you want to know why Satan would do something like that, We're told right here, this is the vision statement of Satan. This is what his plan and purpose was. He knew that this was the way. Once man disobeyed God, what entered into the world? Sin and death. The curse of sin and the curse of death. So he succeeded for a a large part in terms of his vision statement. He's one of those guys who didn't just put up a vision statement on his website and do everything differently, right? He, He lived his life according to his purpose. Now, you know, here's the thing. You know, it's hard for us today to really think along the terms of this personal being, Satan. It's it's hard for us to think of life as being, you know, when when I was a kid, I used to think of like like those cartoons, right? There's an angel on one shoulder and there's like some kind of demonic kind of thing on the other shoulder. And, And every time I came up to an important decision, right? Just like the cartoon, it's like, who, who's going to influence my way of thinking, right? Who's going to convince me, right? Should, all right, should I go to church today? All right, who's going to win out? Or should I, uh, you know, what should I watch, this or that? All right, who's going to influence me? All of these things. That's how I used to think. But today, I don't know, as we've gotten a little older, right, everyone, hey, by the way, you guys still all look young and great. Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, it's hard for us to think of life like that, Right? And we don't really, I mean, as 
I don't know of too many parents who sit their kids down and says, hey, beware of Satan. Here's the plan and purpose and vision statement of Satan. Here's the guy you've got to be careful of. You know, sometimes I, I've given my, my daughter ridiculous warnings, right? Like, I've told her to never get in front of a, a, a person driving a car who looks 90 years old. Just, you don't know, you know? Brake, accelerator, you're not sure. It looks the same sometimes. I, you know, I know we kind of laugh, but I don't know. Every time in the news, there's every year, there's a crazy thing that I, I don't know, you know. I've even said sometimes, hey, don't walk too close to certain RVs, you know. <laughs> Every scary movie I've seen where a girl gets kidnapped, RV, RV's involved, right? But, you know, how many times do we sit our children down or, you know, our loved ones down and be like, hey, you got to worry about Satan here. You know, what's interesting for me is I think I have, at times, a very unhealthy obsession with sports. You know, and, and it's kind of disappointing to me to see how happy I can get or how upset I can get over the athletic performance of 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. Like, I could get super high because a kid I've never met throws the ball really far, and another kid I never met catches it and scores a touchdown, and I'm like, yeah. And sometimes a kid drops it, and I get like, man, I learn how to catch. And I can, I can get super upset. And as passionate as I am about, you know, you know college football is my thing, and you know, if I, yeah, I, as a UCLA guy, it's been some dark years, especially this year, it's been pretty hard, right? We got super excited, Chip Kelly, and then we're 0-5, hey, he needs time, I know, I know, I know all of that, but it's hard. But there was one year where, you know, USC, our arch nemesis, rival, whatever, they, I think at this point, I don't know if they still consider us rivals. They've beaten us so much. But, man, they were ranked number one, undefeated, on their way to the national championship. We were on our way to nowhere. You know, no one knew anyone on our team. We had Patrick Cowan as our quarterback. And it was one of the, you know, no one expected any, but we beat them that year, 13 to 9. 13, it was, it, I was so happy. It's like one of these great joys in my, sort of my career as a fan, right? A career as a Bruin. And just this week, I actually had the opportunity to meet one of the coaches from that USC team. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't help it. I was asking him so many questions about football, and then finally I got to this. Hey, do you remember that 13 to 9 game? I was like, man, what happened? I was like, that was crazy. How did, how did, how did we win? The, what happened? And all of a sudden, the, his countenance, his heart, I could see the pain. It, this guy was like, bro, that was hard. That was tough. The next morning was so dark. And then, you know, I really liked this guy. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, hey, but you guys, you guys had a great year. We sucked. And I became like his encourager. And I left that conversation being a little upset. I felt like God had robbed me of that one joy I had that season, 13-9. I no longer enjoyed that victory. I was like, man, that was, imagine how rough it was for, for them. You know, they thought they were going, I don't, I, I, it was weird. I shared this silly, 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 I know it's very silly, story about how quickly I had jumped ship 
on that 13-9 game. Uh, only because I wonder if in a way this describes how we feel about Satan and his whole vision statement. You know, it's, it's a wonder to me how easily we sometimes listen, fall for, understand, or even side with his philosophies, his techniques, his strategies, his take on life. He wants us to be lifelong slaves, subject to the fear of death. No escaping that. That's his desire for you and I. There is no friendship available here between us and him. There is no common ground available here. There's no point of saying, well, I see where you're coming from when it comes to him. His purpose is so dark and so clear and so purposeful that we have no options when it comes to this matter. And the thing is, though, for a long, long time, there was no escape. There was no way to overcome his plan. Until verse 14 describes us, uh, 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 describes it to us, until Christ came along in the picture, and what does he do? Well, first of all, there's this description of the flesh and blood, and the children who share in flesh and blood, that's us. That's a description of us, the, ch- the children of God, all right? We are flesh and blood, meaning we're human beings, we're people. But he himself, all right, Jesus himself, what does he do? He partook of the very same things, meaning he also became what? Flesh and blood. Now, why does Jesus become flesh and blood? Why does someone who is God and divine and creator and eternal, why does he become like us? So that through his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is, the devil. And right away, we see that point one of why he came and why he became flesh and blood was one to destroy something. It was to destroy this lifelong slavery. It was to destroy this power. It was to destroy this plan. It was to destroy this purpose statement that the devil had. And you think about it, what was the only way to destroy it? Well, it was for him to die on our behalf and then after he died to rise rise again from the dead, and to have victory over what? Death. This is amazing, you guys. See, one of the most important things that sometimes we don't think about all the time is that because of the fact that God is an unchanging, eternal, and just God, because of this truth, God could not say, look, the consequences of sin is death. And then the minute his children mess up, he couldn't say, okay, you know what? Let me go back, and I'm going to change what I just said earlier. It's death for everyone except my children just because whatever. They can do whatever they want. They're my kids. Right? Why why can't God be like this? That would be super frustrating. 
It would be frustrating for those who weren't considered his children, but it would also be scary for his children because what's to prevent God from saying 50 years later, you know what, I changed my mind again. We're going to go back to the original system. I do care. So yeah, even though you're my children, mm, sorry, you're dead. Dead to me. So God, you you know, it's for his glory, but it's also for our sanity and for us so that we could truly worship him, that God is just and unchanging and true and holy. And so there had to be the consequence of sin that was met. And look, for many years, okay, for many years, the, the people of God would gather and there would be a priest, like let's say I was a priest back then instead of a pastor today. I, it, it would be a kind of a hard job because when I see blood, I, I get a little bit squeamish. Um, and, uh, you know, but trying to do all those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices, I don't know. I don't think I could do it. I had trouble when I was in college and doing like labs. I remember one of my upper division labs, we had to dissect a cat. Oh man, I had a hard time. I was like looking at the cat and I was like, man, that's a cat. It's not like a rat, it's a cat. It's someone's pet maybe? I don't know where this cat came from. If it wasn't for the fact that I was trying to impress my lab partner, I probably would have ran out of the room. Um, But you know, I wanted to impress her so I, I did the lab, right? But can you imagine? That reminder of the consequence of sin, the price that had to be paid, and the animals that were, the blood that was constantly being spilled week in and week out and year in and year out. That would be a very strong reminder. But God would allow and he would accept those sacrifices and he would forgive the sins of his people. But even those sacrifices had to point forward to an ultimate sacrifice. There's a reason why here at Crossway we don't bring out goats anymore. Right? I don't know how many of you guys would come if we did that. There's a reason. So by death, through his death, all right, he met and paid for and satisfied the debt that was owed, the response, and, and, and maybe you would say, well, psh, why is God so petty? Why is, he so, why is he so like, hey, you commit one sin and someone has to die? That's crazy. Maybe, maybe for you, it's easier to agree with Satan. Surely God wouldn't kill us because we disobeyed one thing. What kind of God is that? But think about this. How holy, how pure, how good is God? You know, I went on a a trip once to Mexico and I didn't get to take a shower for one week. A whole week. Now the thing is, I start to smell if I don't shower every day. I really have foul BO body odor just because I sweat a lot. But I didn't get to take a shower for a week. There was just no way to take a shower. The only running water we had was, it was a small amount and we used it to flush our toilets because we had to make a decision, right? And that's how it went for a week. But you know what? 
none of us could smell each other. There was about 30 of us doing this together. None of us, no one came to me and said, man, you smell. I never said that to anyone else until the day we got back and the people who came to pick us up, they were nauseous. They were literally fighting nausea. I, I saw one, one lady run out of the room. I, I think she went to throw up because of how bad we smelled. But hey, we didn't know it. And you know, the thing is especially true with sin. We, we just don't realize how horrible our sin is because we're just always hanging out with sinners. And we've been living our full life in the middle of sin and we've been committing sins since day one. All we know a lot of times is our sinfulness and the sinfulness of others. It doesn't smell to us. But to a holy God who is perfect and pure and just in every way, he cannot stand to be in the presence of sin. And so he is 100% just when he makes the penalty and the consequence of sin death. He's not giving an unjust punishment. That is a just response. So none of us are allowed to cry out and say that is an unfair consequence to sin. No, it is fair. You know, the, the, the crazy thing is, Jesus dies, but he doesn't stay dead. Right? See, that's the crazy thing. If he were to stay in the grave, I'm not sure what that would mean for us today. But he didn't stay in the grave. And the reason why that's important for us to remember today is because that fear of death that Satan wanted to use to put us into lifelong slavery, that means what? In the light of the resurrection of Christ, right? Think about it. Christ went into the grave and came out of the grave, and what does he say? Is that reality his alone, or is that also something he's going to share with us? Scripture makes it clear and abundantly clear that for his children, it's not only Christ who will experience resurrection, but it's also an experience for us. So at the end of our physical and temporal lives here on earth, we will experience eternal life forever. So in the light of that reality then, how and what power does Satan have? What, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, Hardy, you're, okay, you're a child of God and you're going to have eternal life. And if I'm Satan, I'm going like, hey man, you're going to die one day. It's going to be scary. You're going to die one day. But you're like, but that, yeah, I will. And yeah, of course there are certain things we fear as human beings regarding that death. But I'm going to live forever in the kingdom of heaven with my Lord and Savior. That's my ultimate reality. What power does my words have? Right? What strength do I have anymore? And, you know, 
For those of us who are married, do you guys remember taking your marriage vows till death do us part? Have you guys ever thought about that? So basically, I've, I've, I've made a promise to my wife to be faithful, to love her. I've got one out. What's my one out? I've got to die. If I'm dead, I'm no longer bound by this oath. I can, I'm freed, right? I'm no, I, I said till death do us part, but if I die, hmm, I don't have to love you anymore. Well, that's the promise, right, that we've taken. I thought that was a very interesting promise. Well, I don't think that's exactly what it means, but think about this. Death, death and the certainty of death, right, is even greater than a love between husband and wife. I can only promise to love my wife until she dies, or, or, or well, I guess I could love her after she dies, but until I die, right? I, I, that's the limits of, so that's why, that's why Shakespeare, when he wrote Romeo and Juliet, that's ridiculous, because if you die, right, I mean, you're dead. Romeo, if you die, you're dead. You can't love her anymore. You're dead. Unless maybe I'm reading Shakespeare wrong, I don't know. It is kind of a hard book to read. But in Romans 8, all right, Romans eight thirty-eight to 39, Scripture tells us, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, for the love of God, even death, even death cannot separate us from the love of God. Even death cannot end the love of Christ for us and towards us. Amen? So not only is Christ the destroyer, the destroyer of death and the power of death, not only is he the destroyer of that slavery, that lifelong slavery, he is the deliverer. He delivers us into a life of hope a life of love, a a, a life of love that isn't even going to end with our deaths. It's a life of confidence. It's a life of joy. It's a life of knowing Him and the power of His death and the power of His resurrection. He delivers us to this life, amen? He doesn't die and then give us a terrible life. He doesn't die and rise again to give us pain. He does it to give us eternal joy. He is described in verse 17 as our merciful and faithful high priest. That's awesome. Our merciful and faithful high priest. You know, the the, the priest had to go and, and represent man before God. Had to, had to spill the blood so that God would forgive. Had to come into that presence to do that. Well, Jesus does it once and for all. He is the great high priest, but he is one that is full of mercy and faithfulness. And, and the reason why this is important to me is because, you know, I think one of the really 
incorrect ways to understand the, really what happened here is, all right, so if we use like a movie, right, like, like to think of Satan as this like really amazingly strong and powerful bad dude, he's Thanos or something, and his desire is to kill us all and put us into this slavery, and then what does he do? He kidnaps all of us. Now we're all his prisoners, we're all his slaves. And then, you know, God wants to free his children, so he has to call Thanos. And Thanos is like, I'll make a deal with you, God. If you give me your son, I'll give you your children. Let's make a, let's, you know, this is, this is the price that has to be paid. And so it's like, Satan was holding us hostage, he kidnapped us, and God had to give up his son in order to save us. That's not, that's, that's not what happened at all. First of all, the problem wasn't that Satan kidnapped us. The problem was what? We sinned. And what are the consequences of sin? Right? What is the curse of sin? So we, we put ourselves in that situation. It wasn't that Satan kidnapped us. And then, second of all, it's not like Christ went to go pay a ransom. Satan didn't have that power. Christ became the merciful and faithful high priest to whom? On whose behalf is he pleading for? On our behalf, but to whom? The Father. He's trying to satisfy and appease the wrath of the Father, the holy and great high king and creator of the world. He's not trying to satisfy the ransom demands of Satan. You guys understand the really important difference here between what we're looking at? And, and Christ willingly went and, and, and became our great high priest. So he became our destroyer, our deliverer. And then if you look at verse 18, he is also our helper. All right? He be, because he himself has suffered when tempted. So again, this is relating to the fact that he, he became flesh and blood, just like us in every way. All right? When tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's able to help us. And I think the key word for me is able. He is able. Able. You know, when something goes wrong in our house, there's part of me that gets sad and then there's a part of me that gets kind of happy because I get on YouTube and I look up videos on how to fix these things. And then I, I get excited and I, I try to go to Home Depot and I want to fix these things. You know, something happens with the shower. I get excited. I want to fix it and I'll watch a YouTube video. But if my wife catches me, I either have to lie to her what I'm trying to do, or I just have to give up. Because the minute she realizes my plan, what does she do? She stops me because she, 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 she knows that I'm not able. Right? I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not able to fix plumbing. I'm not able to do electrical stuff. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a handy guy. I, I make things almost worse. And so she stops me. And you know, one of her famous lines, and I'll remember this, if you have to watch YouTube to fix it, don't do it. Ah, like, oh, that pretty much X's a lot of things off my list. Right? Able, you guys, have you thought of that? God is able. The God who destroyed death and the power of death, the God who delivers us, this God is able to help us, amen? Amen? He's able to help us. 
In hindsight, I th thought maybe I should have redid how, how my outline went, the outline that was passed out. And maybe I would have done it that way then. God, Christ, Jesus, the destroyer, Jesus, the deliverer, Jesus, the helper, our helper. But, yeah, this is the same thing. Another commentator put it this way. He said, Jesus is for us, right? So when he conquers death and he delivers us, he's for us, but he's also with us. He helps us. Maybe just one question I'll ask and I'll wrap and I'll pray. All right? Do you live your life? Right, okay, it's not one question. It's a series of questions. It's like one A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Okay. Do you live your life under the shadow of the fear of death? Are you running around and trying to accomplish A, B, C, D, E, F, G before you die? Are you in this rat race of accomplishing something, building something, all these things so you, so you could do it before you die? Maybe give it to your children before you die. Maybe make a name for yourself before you die. I don't know. Are we doing all of these things under the shadow of the fear of death. The saints still have a stronghold on our hearts, our minds, and the way we live our daily lives. Or do we place our confidence and trust in the destroyer of death, our deliverer, and our helper? Do we place all of our hopes in him, trusting in his promises and in his word, seeking to know him more and love him more, spending more time with him? Not because he has this great strategy for life before we die, but because he loves us. We want to be around him because of that great love. Right? Which is the way that we are deciding to live, which is the path that we are deciding to take. Guys, there is no reason, zero, zero, zero reasons why we should ever side with the devil and his philosophies and his thoughts on life and his take on life. We have zero common ground. He wants to destroy us. Zero reason to choose that path. But we do have, right? Our amazing Lord and Savior. My hope and for all of us is that more and more, more and more, that we just love him and trust him. All right, let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you for uh, Hebrews and just, man, the, the reminders. These are things we know already, but sometimes I think we need to hear it again and, and to be reminded of the love of Christ, the, the passion and the purpose of Christ and the desire that he had to, to destroy our, our, our bonds of, of slavery, to destroy our fears and our anxieties, and then to deliver us into this great life that's eternal and forever, and, and a life of joy forever in the kingdom of heaven, and, and to help us along that journey to get there, Lord. And, and Lord, we just pray that you would help us to love and trust Jesus Christ.
with all that we are and all that we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.